Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15 which you will find in the Old Testament section of your Pew Bibles on page 64 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Holy Spirit, settle our hearts and minds as we read this scripture today. Help us to hear them in a new way. May our meditations and actions be acceptable to God, and may the peace of Christ be with us. Amen. The Israelites departed from Elam, where the springs of water and many palm trees, and about six weeks after they left Egypt, entered the wilderness. Exodus 16, verse 2. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died for the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And when we sat on the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In in that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day they they prepare what they bring in, and there will be twice as much they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you shall know what it is in the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, he for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they took toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you should eat me, in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know I'm the Lord your God. In the evening the quails came up and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there was a surface on the wilderness, was a nice flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread of the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. So I've been told that there was a monk who joined a monastery, and he took a vow of silence. After his first 10 years at prayer and work, his superior called him in and said, it's your big opportunity. Do you have anything you want to say? And the monk said, food bad. So after another decade of prayer and work, again, he had his chance to go in and speak with the abbot, and he said, bed hard. So the third decade went by, and when he came to see the abbot, he said, I quit. 
And the abbot said, I'm not at all surprised because you've done nothing but complain since you got here. So here we are with the Israelites on the edge of the desert, and they are complaining. They do not yet know that they have a 40-year hike ahead of them, and that's probably good. They do know that after such a short time, this journey isn't all that they expected it to be. Yes, they're free, but what does that look like? What does that matter when they're tired and hungry? They look back at Egypt with longing. They mention the leeks and the onions and the cucumbers they ate there. They begin to grumble, and as you may know, grumbling is contagious. They grumble more and more, so much so that God decides to address it. And even though they had just crossed the Red Sea miraculously, their bellies groan so loudly that it outshouts their memories of God's faithfulness, of God's rescue. They begin to wonder if Moses and God can truly handle their problems, if God can truly meet their needs, if God will take care of them. This whole episode makes me think of family gatherings when people would start to groan or grumble or complain. My great uncle Dan would sing this grumbling song and it goes like this. You can grumble in the morning, grumble in the evening. It goes on and his grandkids would sing backup saying grumble, 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 grumble. I think you need to see an excerpt of it sung better than I would from a choir from Nigeria, the J. Clef Chorale. Let's listen. goes on and on and is irritating as it sounds. So one of my cousins put a sign on the wall uh, where our family gathers that says there is always, always something to be thankful for. It's a good reminder. The Israelites grumble. It's really a symptom of their larger problem, a lack of trust. They begin to rebel in their hearts against God, express it through their mouths on a Sunday, Monday. You get the idea. Now, I know we here at First Pres probably never grumble. I haven't been around long enough to hear too much. This story is all about those ungrateful Israelites, right? It couldn't possibly be about us. We don't have this problem, do we? Maybe just a little bit once in a while. What we're going to look at today is that grumbling is all about control and about fear, but we can pivot it 
to help us open our hearts more to God. And we'll test how that might work out in our lives. So grumbling is about control. Our stomachs or our joints, our aches and pains, our inconvenience, our tempers, they gather together to rebel. Our bodies clamor for our attention and they outshout what we know to be true. Speaking more loudly than our hopes for the future, they yell, we can't do this your way, we quit. So for the Israelites, the crisis begins over hunger or longing for meat. Now we today know the whole story of God's provision. We've heard it often enough that God will lead them to the promised land, that God will lead them to this land full of milk and honey, that they will have enough to eat. But they don't know that yet. And so here is the testing. To us, food seems small in comparisons to God's rescue, God's greater provision. But because the people no longer have the pressure of Pharaoh to worry about, meat becomes the next tyrant, the next big thing. This image is from Rome, the Basilica of St. Maria Maggiore. And this, in this, the people are ready to stone Moses and Aaron over it. They are so upset, ready to rebel. Because without Pharaoh, this external tyrant who are preventing the people from living into freedom, small counter-revolutions pop up all over the camp. Eventually, it leads to the golden calf episode in Exodus 32. But here, we're still only in Exodus 15 or 16. It's all building up to a crisis of trust. We see that unsatisfied desires can become tyrants. Unmet expectations can become tyrants. They may seem small, but they make big demands. We all know that even a small tyrant can take control if he or she shouts loudly enough. Just think about a baby. From its first scream, it takes over the house. Grumbling gets bigger and bigger as we let it. What about us? You all probably never hear grumbling in your family, right? Do your kids ever complain or whine? One of my first favorite kid story is called Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. Anyone familiar with this one? She teaches kids and parents cures for behavior, some outrageous behavior such as never wanting to take a bath or a shower, but one that is memorable, maybe in the top two of her cures, is the quarreler arguer cure. And in it, when the children start to whine, the parents catch it because it's contagious. And so they begin to whine too. They can't stand it. And the more they whine, the more it drives their kids crazy till their kids go to their room and shut the door to shut out the whining. So the kids learn two lessons. One, whining isn't so good. And two, a little self-care. It's great to go find some time alone, shut out the noise for a while. I recommend it. Parents have a lot of fun trying it out. It works on all ages. But what about at church? Oh, why do we sing so many of those old hymns? Or why do we sing those new praise songs that I don't know? Or that fill-in-the-blank pastor used to make things happen. Why does it take so long to find a new pastor? 
Or when we had more people, we didn't have to volunteer so much, and they didn't ask us for money all the time. Grumbles gain momentum till they take over. Randy Frazee writes, the Bible tells us that the Israelites want meat, but it's clear what they want is control. They don't want to have to trust God with something as basic as their daily menu. They want control so badly they start reminiscing about the good old days when they were enslaved people in Egypt. What they want is control. What we want is control, right? We hate feeling out of control and helpless from any age. The tyranny of complaining is that we begin to look around for our own solutions. We reject God's provision and God's leading. We don't even realize it at the time when we open our mouths. So let's consider what grumbling really is. I think grumbling is fear. Like the Israelites, we are fearful way deep down that God won't take care of us, that we'll be left helpless and hurting or left alone in our pain and our fear. This same story from Exodus is retold in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, and it goes this way. God tells Moses, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord, saying, If only we had meat to eat, therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not only eat it for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. And then Moses says, basically, where am I going to find all this meat? And God says, the Lord says to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. It's quite a story. It reminds me of the teen caught smoking by dad. Okay, you want to smoke, says the dad. He made my friend smoke the whole pack at once while they sat there. Ew. Bad results. The child threw up. He can't even stand the smell of smoke to this day. It worked. That's one sort of resolution. So God turns the Israelites' grumbling into a lesson. God asks, is the Lord's power limited? Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. In these Exodus stories, God doesn't accept their fear as limiting to God's power. God will still do what God has planned. God makes them face their grumbling, though, their lack of trust in God. God will not let themselves call themselves victims. God is remaking them, as we've talked about, from enslaved people who do not know God into God's free people who will trust God and choose to freely follow and worship God into a free land. And this is one of those lessons along those way, the way, the transformative moment. Grumbling is an obstacle to trust and to worship because grumbling is fear. They're actually nervous about trusting God. Their fear says they'd rather be let down right away, rather just get it over with. Let's die right now instead of later. Sounds sort of like a four-year-old stomping their foot. God calls them on their fear. Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. When we take the power to name our own grumbling as fear, it takes away its power over us. 
When I am leading folks in prayer, especially during a crisis, it helps to ask, what is the worst that can happen? Let's pray about that directly instead of dancing around the issue. Our trustworthy God can handle our worst fears, invites us to name them. We know that God doesn't always answer the way we wish. But yet, it helps God release us from the fear when we name it. God calls us on it too and says, now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. In Exodus, God listens to the Israelites. God shows them God's glory. In Exodus 16, it says this in chapter, in verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because God has heard your complaining against the Lord. They see God's glory first. And then God's glory comes before God provides. In fact, it falls from the heavens. Manna, quail appears from the heavens in the evening, and manna falls from the heavens in the morning. So God shows God's glory first, but then because God knows that God's people are more than just hungry. They have a trust issue, and while they do need food, they also need more of God an understanding of God's presence. Because no, many, no matter how many free quail McMuffins God provides, their hearts will still be hungry for something more. Fear eats quail sausage for breakfast. Fear gobbles it up. So if fear can eat up the power of God's daily provision, then seeing God's glory anew, learning to trust God anew, can swallow up fear. God's glory gobbles up fear. So the antidote to our fear is looking to God, looking at God, reading and rereading the biblical stories of our God who hears our prayers, our God who sees, our God who is mighty to save both then and now. God is gracious. Just like then, God wants to open God's hand to us now. Even though we don't recognize it, what God provides is what we need in order to leave our own bondage to sin, to fear, and to let God reshape us into God's free people who freely want to follow and trust God. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation, also wrote a devotional book I've referred to called Praying with Moses. And the prayer for this passage is this. God, forgive me my much complaining. Help me enter into this extraordinary life of freedom in Christ and discover and appreciate all the dimensions of your glory. It'd be a great prayer for us to pray, followed by prayers of thanksgiving for how God does provide. And here we see an artist's rendition from actually the Basilica of San Marco in Venice. It's from the 13th century on the ceiling how God provides the manna, the quail. After all, who wouldn't want manna? Bread that falls from the sky, a fresh loaf of banana bread every morning. We don't even know what manna is. And the Israelites didn't either. Their word that they called it manna literally means, what is it? 
And so every time they called it manna, they were saying, what is it? We don't know. God made it. God provides in miraculous ways with miraculous bread as a way to overcome fear. God invented it. God created it for this purpose. Because grumbling feeds fear and praying honestly and worshiping God in God's glory helps conquer our fear. Praying is better than grumbling. But surprisingly, grumbling actually is a form of prayer. If you think about it, it's honestly, if rudely, expressing our outrage that life shouldn't be this way, our outrage. Grumbling is simple gut-level prayer saying, God, help us change our circumstance. And it's missing all that nice frosting of dear God and please and thank you. But it does have hope and trust at its base if we pay attention to it. Peterson writes, thankfully, even our complainings are accepted by God as acts of prayer because God is a gracious God. It is prayer at its minimal, mean and carping and ungrateful, and yet prayer it is. And God listens and responds. The merest groan is the seed of a prayer to God. We know that Jesus invites us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, the smallest thing, our daily provision. Jesus invites us. So if grumbling is prayer, then we need to pay attention to what bugs us, what we complain about. What do we need to move onto our prayer list today from our grumbling list? What can we choose to pray about instead of grumble, no matter how small? Grumbling can open us to God's plan and purpose for us. When we find ourselves in a dissatisfied state in grumbling, Peter suge Peterson suggests we pray, God, thank you for responding with amazing grace. Thank you for listening to me in my ugliness and work in me in my twisted self-seeking. Please show me your glory in my wilderness. And in those times, God's grace falls on us like manna. When we self-focus and give into our control issues, then we grumble, we give into fear. And we too are wandering in the wilderness, paying attention to this moment, forgetting God's larger act. We lose the opportunity to look up, to see God's glory, and to build our trust in God's goodness by the Holy Spirit in our God who provides. So let's live as God's grateful, free people with honest and open hearts, not bound by fear, but seeking what God wants to do, what God wants to show, what God wants to provide for us next. So let us pray together our breath prayer, the initiative I'm having us pray together all this fall in our small groups and our families and our committees. Let's pray together. Lead us, O oh God, guide us. Amen.